Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. My social impact pioneer guest today is Ashley Onyango. She is the head of financial inclusion and agritech or agricultural technology at GSMA. GSMA are the global organisation which brings together the mobile ecosystem representing mobile operators, organisations and adjacent industries around the world. Prior to joining the GSMA, Ashley spent over a decade living and working in East Africa, championing financial inclusion, designing and managing funds for root capital. And she worked with the MasterCard Foundation and financial sector deepening Africa before that. During our conversation today, Ashley is going to deep dive into newly released data from the GSMA. For some time, they have been looking deeply at the ramping up and impacts of mobile money, so the financial activities you and I can do on our phones. In partnership with other leading thinkers and researchers, they have been following the trends, unearthing gaps and flagging up opportunities for over a decade now. In 2022, Ashley and her team have launched their latest findings. And alongside a 10-year review of the mobile money research, she is going to deep dive into what they are seeing from the data. I know our conversation today is going to get deep into those numbers, so get your pens and notepads ready, or should I say mobile note-taking app, and uh, this should be a good one. So Ashley, welcome. Thank you, Katie. Oh, it's great to have you. And I just wanted to start off our conversation today. You've recently launched the State of the Industry Report on Mobile Money. For those who haven't yet read it, what are the key findings? Absolutely. I could spend probably a full hour talking about this, but I'll do my best to summarize. So the headline is that we're still seeing double-digit year-on-year growth across all our key indicators, registered and active accounts, transaction volumes and values. And this is really pointing to continued momentum and growth in the industry. As this is our 10th edition of the State of the Industry Report for Mobile Money, rather than simply looking at year-on-year growth, we took a longer-term analysis of growth and trends over the last 10 years. And it's really quite impressive what the industry has achieved. We can safely say that mobile money continues to play an important role in financial inclusion, with nearly 2 billion people unbanked, as harrowing as this number is, it's not nearly as high as it could be because of the work of the mobile industry. And they've leveraged and built infrastructure to reach some of the world's most vulnerable and hard to reach with mobile money. So a few key things we've seen, I mean, the breadth and depth of mobile money continues to expand. Active agents have grown more than 10 times from 534,000 to 5.6 million in the last 10 years. And this actually has been a huge catalyst increasing the number of registered accounts, which has also grown more than 10 times. 
and it has reached 1.35 billion globally this year. An area that we see that remains a challenge is activity rates. And maybe rather than a challenge, a key focus of the industry as we are trying to see how to improve not just access, but also offering a robust suite of financial products to meet people's dynamic needs, meaning that they're using it regularly. There are products and services that are supporting their lives and impacting them on a daily basis. So this year, we see less than half of registered accounts are active on a 90-day basis, and only a quarter of accounts are active on a 30-day basis. However, activity growth in the last 10 years has outpaced that of registered accounts. So registered accounts have grown 10 times, whereas 90-day activity has grown 15 times and 30-day activity 13 times. So this is a really positive trend that we want to see continue. And the last thing I'll mention is just on the volume of transactions. So the most impressive milestone we've seen the industry achieved this year is processing more than $1 trillion in transactions globally. And this has been driven by a, a number of things, but largely a wide evolution of ecosystem payments. So beyond your person-to-person -person transfers, we've seen new use cases. And one that I'll mention is, is mobile money merchant payments. And this is really catalyzing and digitizing people's financial lives and increasing activity. So after a momentous year for merchant payments in 2020, in 2021, the volume nearly doubled, reaching an average of 5.5 billion in transactions per month. Whoa, that's huge numbers. That's absolutely amazing. And in a, in a year, and, and don't get me wrong, my next question it really is about COVID because surely <laughs> that is a sort of COVID acceleration, if nothing else. What does that mean in practice for people day to day? And is there anything that's actually surprising that's come out of COVID? Absolutely. Mobile money offered a lifeline for people who were unable to move around freely due to lockdowns, restrictions. And it was also a way for people to transfer funds in a safe and contactless way. You know, I think we saw ownership, we saw usage increase. Merchant payments is a good example. You know, I mentioned the impressive growth we saw, and it's no question that this growth was accelerated by the pandemic. Governments were discouraging the use of cash. Merchants were you know, more incentivized than ever to accept mobile money payments. We even saw small businesses go online, building an e-commerce presence, accepting mobile money payments for goods, and then delivering them direct to people's homes, direct to their doors, and showing a lot of innovation and just using mobile money as an enabler of that. One of the areas I think we saw or, or we were a bit surprised by is international remittances. So we saw really strong growth during this period, which was given that globally international remittances were forecasted to decrease just based on the wide global economic hit. The fact that mobile money's percentage of that share was growing and the volumes were continuing to grow is actually attributable to the partnerships that mobile money providers and international remittance companies have been building. And they've made a lot of strides in reducing the cost of international money transfers through mobile money, making it more efficient, it's faster, it's easier. So instead of a recipient waiting several days, perhaps, for money to hit an account or to, to get the notification that they've received money and then having to travel to a retail or cash point, transfers are nearly instantaneous and arrive directly to one's phone at the fraction of a cost. So really, 
it's no surprise that this is becoming an increasingly preferred channel for people to send money to friends and family across the borders. But other, I mean, COVID accelerated a lot of different uses for mobile money, paying utility bills, school payments, salaries. Governments used mobile money as a channel to, to provide efficient and affordable assistance to their, to their citizens. And so no doubt COVID played a huge role in accelerating the growth of mobile money. Some of those use cases and examples just, I mean, they're, they're sort of no brainers when you come to mention them, but, but actually just the growth in, in such a short amount of time. But I, I want to flip that a bit. You mentioned earlier on that over 2 billion remain unbanked, which is a massive number. And as you said, you know, mobile money is doing great stuff to try and engage people. But is it all good news? I mean, what challenges and hurdles remain? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's it's nearly two billion. Last the last statistics we have is one point seven billion, and we're hoping to see that you know has gone down when we get new data from the World Bank this coming year. But it's not. I wouldn't say it's bad news. I think it's there's there's points that we need to continue to focus on. So one, I mean, is is the missing one billion registered accounts that aren't using it on a monthly basis. So we need to continue to focus on activity rates providing that robust suite of financial products. Consumer protection is certainly on the radar of all mobile money providers as the financial services industry evolves and becomes increasingly digital. We need to work together as an industry to make sure that it's safe, to make sure that people can trust it. And so that's you know, constantly part of the agenda and what we're talking about with our, with our operators. And finally, I would say uh, closing the gender gap across uh, low and middle income countries. So in as much as we've made really great strides in some countries like Kenya, where the mobile money account gender gap is 7% and showing progress towards narrowing and and closing, we still have countries that are near or well above 50%. And for instance, in Pakistan, the the mobile money account ownership gender gap is 71%. there's no time like the present to keep focusing and pushing on that. And we can't, we need to celebrate the, the markets where it's closing, but we need to not lose focus that it's still a big problem. Just having the data that you know that that's a problem, you know, it's, it's I, I often hear about gender disaggregated data. And if you're not collecting it, you don't know it. And, and I guess from a mobile perspective, because you're inherently digital, Presumably, being able to collect that data is easier, or is it? You know, is it just trying to embed that from the from the get go? Yeah. So the amount of data that mobile network operators have is is great, and there's a ton of data. Sometimes we have to work through gaps in the data, however. So actually, the the gender disaggregated data can still be a huge gap, and that's because you have issues like perhaps a, a male in the household is the one who registers for a SIM and registers for the phone line, and then a woman is using it. So you have this kind of gap that you don't actually know the gender of all your users. You might know the gender of those who have registered for it. And actually, we're working on some toolkits, gender analysis uh, toolkit to, to use algorithms, so different data points about how that phone line is being used to then discern who the user is and the gender of that user rather than the person who registered. So the data is massive. There's lots of great data, but there's still a lot of gaps. And so we do often do demand side consumer research on the ground as well. 
That's so cool. And if those um, any of those toolkits or anything is available to others, I'll try and put the links or get hold of the links to put them in the words that sit alongside the podcast for anybody who's listening. Um, Ashley, this conversation is obviously super. We love getting into the detail of the insights and the and the and the data. But I'm also really curious about you, and I'm a genuinely really nosy and inquisitive person. So apologies. <laughs> But you've, I've seen, I know, has have dedicated your career to inclusive finance in particular. Would you mind just sharing a bit about your story? I mean, what's driven you to this point? Yeah, sure. Well, it definitely didn't start there. So I, I started my career in corporate America working for a large food company. And I can safely say I, I really didn't, had never heard the term financial inclusion in any significant way at that point in my life. But I found my way to Europe. I went to business school and and then kind of pivoted towards emerging markets. Was really looking to kind of change my career a bit and landed in East Africa. And leveraging my experience in like a global food company and my finance background, I found myself working with small and medium-sized agribusinesses. First and more of an advisory function, helping them think through scaling their operations and raising growth capital, and later with an impact investor designing an investment fund and building a portfolio. So it was really looking at access to small and medium-sized enterprise finance. Interestingly, as I was talking to hundreds of these small and medium-sized businesses across the continent, I found that they all had one working capital constraint in common, which was smallholder farmer finance. I won't go into all the depth of what that means, but basically these agribusinesses ended up financing their smallholder farmers in, in you know, providing them inputs and credit. And it essentially put a huge strain on their working capital. And, and it really put a strain on their business ultimately and how they could grow. So at first I came at this looking at it from you know, more of an investor level or angle rather. And then I started to get really curious about why these businesses were sort of forced into financing smallholder farmers, because essentially it should be a supplier-buyer relationship, but they ended up being the financier as well. And this is when it kind of opened Pandora's box for me. It was obviously much bigger than, than not being able to purchase inputs at the time of planting. It was really about basic financial services that, that many of us take for granted, and, and it was affecting billions of people. People literally storing money under their mattresses, having no transactional history to build a credit history, and actually just not having access to banks. And this was all happening about the same time that M-Pesa was in its infancy in Kenya, which is where I was living at the time. And M-Pesa was making great strides in building infrastructure to reach rural communities. For the first time, a smallholder farmer could walk you know, a kilometer to reach its closest MPESA agent rather than 10 or 20 kilometers to reach a bank. And you started to see this infiltration into the rural communities that had never happened before and these opportunities for farmers to have access to payment systems. And this just really started my journey. And I guess, you know, I've had really great opportunities to work with organizations, both kind of working on financial inclusion, agricultural development, and the nexus of those two things. And I'm super grateful to be where I am now. I love looking at mobile money globally and what it's done across markets, the diversification and the evolution that the industry is taking. And for me, it's, you know, it was a real pivot when I was kind of packing my bags for Europe to go to business school. But certainly this journey has brought me into a career that I feel is just really much bigger than myself and something that really excites me every morning when I get up. 
Oh, Ashley, thank you so much for sharing your story. And um, it feels like the case example that you can work in a wealth of different types of areas and and really still make it an impact. I'm always so scared about stepping out of my my own experience. So um, thank you for sharing that. And and with that unique experience and space and and perspective, Ashley, would you mind sharing with us what do you see as your kind of top and emerging trends that perhaps others haven't yet really thought of? I think we're going to continue to see an increased digitization of money. So it's really impressive to see how mobile money is actually playing a huge catalyzing role in driving increasingly digital economies across low and middle income countries. Much of this is going to be driven by increasing use cases, the innovations, increased integration and interoperability with other payment providers, banks, and fintech players. I think partnerships are more critical than ever now. And this will help you know, address not only the earlier challenge of activity rates, but also looking at the safety and consumer protection. Mobile money providers like Safaricom and MTN are launching super apps, which is giving users this one-stop shop for all their purchasing and payment needs. I think we're going to see more and more of this. One of the trends that I think we have to watch is just that we're not kind of using that very basic, leaving that basic user base behind so that there's still a value proposition to basic phone users, people who are just getting into financial systems. And then there's a journey for them to grow and, and, you know, kind of evolve into a super app user along the way. But with smartphones becoming increasingly more accessible as the cost decreases, I do anticipate we're going to see, you know, increased ownership of smartphones, and this is going to be more accessible to to a wider population. And maybe on a, a less positive note, I think we're seeing regulatory changes that are actually challenging the sustainability of mobile money. So putting taxes onto digital payments, uh, the introduction of new levies, price regulations. In some cases, they're mandating zero-rated transaction fees. And all of this really comes at a cost to either the consumer, to the provider, sometimes to both. And it's a trend that we need to be careful as we watch and, and focus on it because the massive gains we've made in, in financial inclusion are actually at risk if, if we can't ensure the sustainability of, of the mobile money uh, business model. It's really interesting. It's that, that piece where more people get in on it, governments see it as a sort of an opportunity, but also to, you're balancing that piece where you're talking about the kind of safety and consumer protection with the, the downsides of regulation, such a sort of balancing act, act really there, Ashley. And you've worked across, as you mentioned earlier, lots of different sectors. Um, I was wondering whether we could sort of stick in that space of, of your journey a little bit, which is what do you feel that you've learned on that journey? And, and where do you feel that we need to continue that collaboration across sectors? You just talked just now about partnerships, but wondered whether you could talk a bit more about that for us. As you mentioned, you know, I... I've worked across different sectors. I came into the financial inclusion you know, sector through agriculture, but it really could have been any, just about any other sector, right? Health, looking at access to insurance, access to energy, in the retail industry, looking at small business loans. So for me, financial services, while an industry in and of itself, is an enabler for all industries. And financial inclusion is a driver of an economic development and growth. So the collaboration between mobile money providers and innovators across other sectors 
is really important. And it has driven some of the use cases we've seen, some of the innovations we've seen. A good example is pay-as-you-go solar home systems. So mobile-enabled payments have really allowed pay-as-you-go solar home systems to have a decentralized model, allowing it to scale incredibly fast and efficient. And the pace of this has, has really transformed the sector and you know, ultimately provides clean and affordable electricity to an estimated 27 million people. Digital payments are offering this flexible, remote, and secure payment solution for these services. And many pay-as-you-go companies and other market players have begun using consumer asset financing now to offer new products. So they're, they're branching out and offering other types of products like pay-as-you-go smartphones, et cetera. But I think the partnership element is so important. So the more we can drive demand through other sector use cases, the more, first of all, it adds to the diversification of the business model. So it creates you know, a more sustainable business model for mobile money providers, but it also then starts to build, as I mentioned before, this really robust suite of financial products. So someone can have all of their different payments and needs in one platform integrated through their mobile money wallet, mobile money account. And this creates just a real incentive for people to digitize and and to become digital players in this economy. Oh, it sounds so exciting. And and again, for anybody who's listening, I'll do my best to get some links into the words that sit alongside so that you guys can follow up on, on anything that you've heard today. My last question for us today, Ashley, is what is next for you? Well, I've got my plate fairly full. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably looking forward to a holiday, but, but really it's about continuing to push the needle. There's been so much progress and we should absolutely celebrate that. But at the same time, I mean, I haven't worked myself out of a job and there's a lot we need to keep doing. As a team, we're working towards looking at digital finance for all. So ensuring that digital financial services are accessible and affordable, that they're safe to use, that there's innovation happening and, and new products are coming out, new services to really meet the demands of an evolving ecosystem and, and dynamic consumer base, essentially. And that we're supporting the industry to scale sustainably so that we can ensure long-lasting impact. In the year ahead, we're looking forward to bringing the industry together at Mobile World Congress Africa in Kigali from October 25th to 27th. And we'll continue to discuss these trends. We'll look at how the industry is evolving, the different challenges and solutions, and really dig into that more. So those are just a few of the things coming up. Uh, pretty busy then. Um, <laughs> on that note, Ashley, congratulations to you and all the GSMA team on the Mobile Money Report. And a massive thank you for joining us today and sharing so generously your insights and, and your ideas. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Katie. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 